Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome. You've got digital folklore. I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is Digital Folklore. And this is a catch-up episode where our intention is to bring you up to speed on everything that's happened in the digital folklore lore so far to really kind of also give you an idea of what the heck we were thinking when we put some of this stuff together, what our creative journey was, and how we got in this interesting place that we're in today. And at the current moment, you might be thinking, geez, wouldn't a place for this have been like, at the start or the end of a season? And the answer to that question is probably yes, but we're doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. Part of that, though, is there's always creative problem solving, right? Everything in audio and everything in the way that anybody does stuff is always creative problem solving. And -hmm. this episode is serving uh, two functions. One is to help bring listeners who are newer to the show up to speed so that they don't feel like they have to go back and Uh, push their way through every episode if they don't have time to do that, though we would love if everybody did. And then the other thing is we are taking a little bit of a production break to give us some breathing room so that we can really hit the last uh, three episodes of this season like full force and make sure that we're giving all the listeners exactly what they've come to us for. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a production break on the outside, but inside it's, it's a production scramble. Uh, trying to pick up the pace and catch up to our uh, tail that we've been chasing. And to mix metaphors, it's kind of like the little duck that looks very, very calm on the surface of the water, but under its legs are just kicking frantically. <laughs> <laughs> I like that as a as a visual metaphor. That's Mason. That's me. That is it looks me. Really, really calm on the surface on the inside. Well, I don't, I don't know what's going on under your desk, but I imagine there's paddling. Yeah, there is. My I, my legs are twitching. And if you looked at that duck, the duck's eyes are stressed. Uh, <laughs> that duck is having like war flashbacks. That duck is ready to go. So we should walk through the narrative thus far and we can hit on the some of the really cool people we've gotten to talk to along the way. Let's start the story before the story. Okay. Because uh, I don't know that everybody that's listened to this has heard some of the other interviews that we've given where we've talked about like how the podcast even came to start in the first place. That's true. So I'm never well, sure where those end up. I can't I don't I didn't remember if we had done that on this feed. I, I think we mentioned it. Uh, well, I know we mentioned it on the Folkwise episode that we recorded a few weeks ago. And I think we mentioned it on like one or two other podcasts that we were guests on. But I don't think that we ever like fully explained the backstory for the Digital Folklore podcast to this audience. Well, then I think our friends deserve an explanation. Yeah. When we first set out to make Digital Folklore, we didn't have a completely clear idea of what the show would be, but we talked back and forth a lot about wanting to have a strong sonic identity. And at least for me from the jump, my thought was we would lean into a sort of glitch aesthetic with the different sort of audio zaps and like audio cutting in and out and lean into like a stylistic glitchiness as the sort of Digital Folklore identity. 
So when we made the first episode, there was a lot of that influence in the transitions. And then the structure was built a bit more like Radiolab. And we were just trying a lot of things out. And uh, what ended up happening was really cool. But we needed to add something a little bit more. And that's when that little scene with us in the woods happened. And we, we had to go to the woods to do this. Well, yeah. The woods, the forest, they're central to so many folkloric tales and concepts. So I figured it would be good to go. Yeah. You know, we started episode one with the idea of we, we want to do basically the equivalent of like a radio lab, but focus on online culture and folklore. And we were using Radio Lab and uh, Endless Thread and a few other shows as inspiration. Uh, Lindsey Graham's American Scandal uh, from some of the ways that he approaches the narrative and several other podcasts were kind of in our head as inspiration. But we didn't really have the full narrative idea. So we, we started with really doing this like documentary style with a lot of fun. And we let somebody hear that because we would do these really big sonic things and explain things in, in grand ways and have voice acting and all that. And then it would end and Mason and I would have a discussion very much like we're having right now, but about the topic. And somebody, one of our test listeners heard that and they're like, it seems like it goes from this amazing thing into just two guys talking. And it feels it, like this really cool thing that you're creating to every other podcast that's out there. So what can you do about that? And that was the the idea of what if we just have background sounds like we're walking through the woods as we're c continuing this discussion? And then we refined the dialogue and everything from that and ended up with episode one, the way that you hear it now, where the woods is literally the one of the characters that gets introduced in episode one. And I think that was the most pivotal moment that pushed something over the edge that was already teetering dangerously on the edge, which was the fact that prior to this, the show I was making was just a fully sound designed, improvised, silly show that fully took place in a scene. It was full fiction. And we weren't doing that for this. But then the moment we started introducing this idea of us being in an environment or a space, it slowly grew from there to being this massive audio adventure that ostensibly focuses on us making the podcast, which it, is a trope I'm not a huge fan of in a lot of media. And I'm wasn't something I meant to walk into when writing the subsequent things. But here we are. It's a show about us making the show. It is. It is. Yeah. And it's it's really, really interesting how we got here because it's not anything either of us wanted to do. But at the same time, we've stumbled into it as part of the narrative because we end up with this woods thing. And then we also had an idea of two different formats where we would do this really high production show. Um, and then the very next episode would be a very low production, stripped down interview, kind of like the unplugged episodes have turned into recently. But as soon as we got to episode two, we were like, oh, we still need to create a narrative frame around that. And so it, it then began is me walking up to your studio uh, and then kind of seeing the conditions that you live in. What is all this crap? It's the four hours of interviews that we cut for that first episode. And meeting this fun raccoon character that you just improvised at the time and we went with and is now a defining character within the show as well. Digby's introduction was a massive tipping point. However, I can't take any credit for Digby because that was a pure Perry ad lib when we were talking about how messy the studio was and you just improvised. Is that a raccoon? And from there, a legend was born. Stop looking. Stop looking. 
anywhere. What? Is that a raccoon? That's Digby. He's a business expense and also my best friend. He's eating Manny's covered tape. He can't be doing too well. And Digby makes me 50% more efficient. I mean, to, to the point, Just though, me. we had already had all of our artwork for the website and stuff done. <laughs> and for people that know that, you've got Mason and I in the Volkswagen, which kind of looks like the Scooby-Doo van. And we were going through the dark woods with uh, characters like Slenderman and Momo and all these uh, memes and online culture references that were just kind of driving through exploring Scooby-Doo style. And I had to go back to the artist. I was like, I have a feeling that this raccoon is going to become something interesting. Go ahead and stick him in the front seat with us. And uh, out of that, then people started to develop expectations of, oh, when is Digby going to come back? And then people would ask the question, oh, is Digby going to talk? And, and we ended up kind of following that, not necessarily having ever planned that from day one. Right, which is why I like to liken the whole thing a bit to being a part of a D&D campaign in that it started out very scattershot was not sure we were neither of us were sure what direction this was going to go. And now it's gone in this direction. And it's subject to change at any point. We might pivot and do something totally different. Who knows? Yeah. And and we have pivoted into and away from things as uh, kind of the inspiration strikes over the past several uh, episodes. I mean, we're up to, to 40 published episodes at this point, which is freaking crazy. That is wild to think about. And also at the end of this season, the next catch up we do. With the way this season is going to end, I'm very excited for the next catch-up because there's going to be some interesting possibilities in the future. But let's do, let's do the narrative from, from start to where we are now, from <clears throat> the beginning to the present. We've covered where we talked about the woods and the introduction of the entire narrative element. We got to Digby being introduced when we talked with uh, Kathleen Hale about the, uh, the story behind the Slenderman stabbings. Yeah. And then shortly after interviewing Kathleen, we moved into Todd's pawn shop Yep. to look around. What was the purpose of us entering Todd's in the first place? Do you remember? It, we were trying to find a narrative vehicle for where we might stumble upon old video games and, and weird stuff like that. That was Oh, it. dude, they have Donkey Kong 64 and the expansion pack still in the box. I hate places like this. Yeah, I don't remember, and like, so we ended story, up with the pawn shop idea, and we were also really leaning into additional characters at that point, um, and we met our second recurring character. Wait, I'm sorry, who are you? I'm Todd. Um, nice to meet you. Yeah, this is this is Todd's shop. I was in a band with Mason's dad in the 80s. Yeah, I wasn't alive, but yeah, I mean, I've seen photos. So cool. Digby's recurring character number one, uh, Todd from the pawn shop, is recurring character number two. And what we realize in these really early episodes, episodes one and three specifically, is that we enter the woods to naive podcasters and somehow we leave forever changed. Uh, we hit episode three, we enter Todd's pawn shop to still naive podcasters and leave forever changed. Yeah, I think Todd's pawn shop first episode is the is the final episode where things were any kind of quote unquote normal for the digital folklore crew of Perry Mason and Digby. Right. We only had three episodes where life was normal because at the end of Todd's pawn shop episode on our way out, after I've purchased my bicycle and we're going to load it into your trunk. We still don't know what happened, right? We still have no idea what happened because there's just that sequence where there's a light on under your trunk. We pop it open and then something very scary happens that's never explained. Hey, did you leave a light on? Huh? Is, yeah. Is there like a light in your trunk or something? It's like, yeah, wait, maybe I left it. I don't think. Let me wait. Ah! 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 
<laughs> yeah. And then the major narrative starts to pick up then with the introduction of the Volkswagen. That's in episode five. Uh, I've got that all kitted out and we're, we have this recording machine on wheels that we can go and investigate stuff in. That is legally distinct, but bears a slight passing resemblance to the mystery machine. Exactly. But is yeah. legally distinct from. And at the end of that, again, we see that we are still two very, very naive podcasters and the world is completely different than we ever thought that it was. But this is the first big weird thing that happens at the end of episode five with the actual hook-handed man on the roof of the Volkswagen. And somehow I just very callously sling him off the roof <laughs> and then back up over him and tell you that uh, some cleaning crew is going to be by in a while to deal with that. Oh, oh, hello. Hey, Mason, did you just call me? Yeah, Perry. Okay, don't yeah. freak out. Don't do anything. Keep driving normal. There is a person on the roof of your van. What? I can see them right now as you're driving away. There's a person on the roof of your van. And I know I know everything we just uh, did. I swear to God, they have a hook geez, for a hand. Not again. Hang on. Did you, did you say again? Yeah, hang on. What? Oh, my God! Dude! Oh! Problem solved. Dude. Close your blinds. People will be by soon. Yeah. And that is an interesting moment. Man, it's tricky because I don't want to give away all of the tie-ins yet because we're not done with this season. But that moment in itself is very interesting to look back on. The way you handled that compared to the Perry we're looking at more recently, who is having doubts about the uh, the veracity of reality. Yeah. And, you know, speaking about the veracity of reality, I'm on our webpage right now looking through the episode list. And there is this weird thing that happened shortly after episode five where something strange just dropped into our feed. Um, oh, that was then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we pulled that out <clears throat> since then. So it's not cluttering up the RSS feed in anybody's podcast player. Uh, but on the website, I've just called it Archive Strangeness for Investigation. And that really freaked a bunch of people out in addition to us whenever that landed. Yeah, that was weird. I meant to take that out of the feed for uh, a while. I think I left it up there for too long because that just showed up. Um, that might have been when I accidentally forgot my password to Megaphone. Oh, yeah. You have, you've had to reset that a few times. I have, which makes me even more weirded out by uh, the thing that dropped. I wish there was some kind of log so I could see who logged in. But any anyway, we could get yeah. sidetracked on that forever. We return to Todd's pawn shop. We do. After this, in the in the following episode or in an episode after that. Yeah, episode seven for those keeping score. Episode seven, when we uh, did a collaborative episode with Eric Malinsky of the Imaginary Worlds podcast, which is a super good podcast. So much fun. And in, in the listener survey that did, we did between seasons, episode seven was by far, I think, everybody's favorite episode. That one was really good. I mean, analog horror is such a good subject. Eric Malinsky yeah. is just a phenomenal podcaster and explainer. Like as a person explaining and talking about things, I could listen to Eric forever. He's so professional too. Yeah. Um, I remember when we were doing the audio tracking for his episode with that. And he just, he picks up his, his page with a script on it. And I don't realize that he's reading a script because it sounds like he's just talking to us. Yeah. Eric's very good. And I was like, how, how do you do that? Because that's not something I'm capable of doing, obviously. Yeah, I can't do that either. Anytime I get near to a microphone, I put on this voice. Right. So, Perry, how do you feel today? And, and, and <laughs> I feel wonderful, Mason. And how about you? I am doing phenomenal because I've been sleeping on my Casper mattress and eating my athletic greens. <laughs> you know, uh, God, I've been spending too much time in podcasts. 
So yeah. we did that episode with Eric, and that was great. Now, there was something from that that's a carryover that we still talk about in season two, right? Yeah, because the whole thing that that centered around was a VHS copy of Candle Cove that we discovered, and neither of us had a VCR. So naturally, the only place to go was Todd's Pawn Shop. And of course, the only VCR we could get from Todd's was one that ended up spewing black flames, destroying the tape and the TV it was connected to. Oh, and this was also the episode in the film noir type of narration. And uh, if I remember right, that that was a problem-solving mechanism that we had. Again, we're always trying to solve problems because of our schedules. And I was traveling that week and couldn't record that much. And so you, you were able to get bit parts from me. But then we problem-solved by having you really narrate in a unique way the situation that was going on. I don't get more than 45 minutes into disorganizing my home when... What slips from a box and lands heavy at my feet? A VHS tape. I bend down to pick it up, blow off a layer of dust so thick it might have been a carpet sample. Candle Cove, it reads. In color and for people that understand what Candle Cove is, too, in addition to being an analog horror reference, it is a story that deals with false or faulty memories. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Might make you question your grasp on reality or the things that you remember or the way the world might be. Which leads right into the next episode, which opens with Perry wondering about the nature of what the world might be and whether his memories are real and why weird things are happening to us. It's the first audio diary entry we hear from the Perry character. It is, which is almost a character in and of itself, right? It is uh, what happens when you separate Mason and I, and we're left with our own thoughts or with our, our own life circumstances. And that audio journal becomes almost its own character that we can start to play with at this point. April 24th, 2023. I'm beginning to get a little worried. Hello, this is Perry Carpenter. Um, yes. Oh, just the one, one body. Great. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, cause of death? Um, I guess officially death by van crushing. Um, yeah, it's uh the separation too between Perry and Mason talking now, like real Perry and Mason, and then Perry and Mason in the narrative is also a fun thing to play with. Because they're kind of exaggerated versions of us that end up in the show, obviously. But there's a lot of there's a lot of real tie-ins and fake tie-ins. And uh, I this is a fake tie-in because as far as I'm aware, Perry, I don't think you're constantly doubting reality. I don't constantly doubt reality, nor am I a good record keeper. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so those things are fictionalized. Heavily. Exactly. Yeah. And but that propels us into the last two episodes of the season when. That question that everybody was asking me and you as soon as Digby was introduced starts to get answered, right? Is is Digby going to become a larger character and is Digby at some point going to be able to speak and interact? Yes, which is uh, episode nine, the penultimate episode of the season, is still one of my favorite episodes of a podcast that I've ever like been a part of. I think just because it's so weird inside of the show because it it is it opens with digby and dr Swinkle, this uh completely previously unintroduced character as dr Swinkle is installing an implant 
into Digby's throat that will let Digby talk. And so we see Digby coming out of this surgery and going through a calibration procedure where we get glimpses of events from before episode one and from the behind the scenes of the podcast through the perspective of Digby, uh, including some interview content that we hadn't released and other things like that. And I think that is one of my favorite episodes. Hello there. Don't panic. Don't try to move. It's going to be okay. Okay, stop squirming. Need to relax. Hello. You've been out for a while, but you're doing very well. Very well indeed. What? There we go. Where am I? Don't worry about that quite yet. We've got some tests to run. It's just, it's, it's, I know I got a mixed response because it was kind of very heavy on the narrative side, but I also had a lot of fun with the sound design in it. There's some weird stuff. There's a whole transition I made using only toilet sounds, um, <laughs> which when you hear it, you'll know, but it was also a fun little challenge. And I've had many transitions only with toilet sounds. <laughs> exactly. Usually was, after Taco Bell. Yeah, I was drawing from personal experience and trauma. Uh, to work through in that episode. Hey, listeners, if you're like me and enjoy escaping to a real movie theater, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And your membership lets you get into premium format shows like IMAX and 4DX at a reduced cost. Plus, you'll save 10% on all non-alcoholic concessions. Regal Unlimited. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So, if you're planning on seeing a couple movies this month, join Regal Unlimited. Now is the best time as summer's coming up. Sign up now in the Regal app or on the website at regmovies.com unlimited. And be sure to use the code FOLKLORE24 to get 10% off a three-month subscription. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So then, once Digby became a speaking character, uh, that changed the whole shape of the show. We knew that going into season two, we were going to have to do things a little bit differently. Because also, we met Digby under duress, which is not the best way to get a characterization of a new character. And especially when you have someone like Digby, who previously being an unspeaking raccoon, just a little agent of chaos, anyone could project their own sort of intentions onto him. And then once he starts speaking, he has his own fleshed out personality, which we've been exploring in season two. But in season one, it was kind of left a mystery because immediately following that episode, it was an episode of just you and me while Digby was still away at the vet. But we got to interview Lynn McNeil. Getting Lynn 
within season one was like a dream come true for us because she is the name that came up over and over and over again as we were doing our our pre uh yes. pre-work uh reading and study for this and so it was extremely validating to be able to get her on and it just felt like a huge accomplishment it also was a fantastic interview and gave us again i, I said earlier on if it makes the cut that almost everything in audio is solving one problem or another. Uh, everything in production is solving for problems. The narrative structure for that was also solving for problems because Lynn was having horrendous internet issues that day. Yes. And kept dropping. So we made it our fault because that was that's way more fun, right? So all right, we had stuff falling over and knocking our internet out and then using the bits of the interview. And of course we make it Mason's fault. Right. Because he lives in this chaotic environment that's a you know hyper exaggeration of real life. I think the way yeah, I think the way we wrote it was well, it's actually funny you say that because I had to clean up a a plant that my cats knocked over right before we started this recording. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, I think the way we wrote around it was that I was so excited to interview Lynn that I literally bulldozed the garbage out of view of my webcam, which then collapsed onto the computer. What? But it was kind of fun to take the moments from the uh, interview call where Lynn dropped out and came back and actually use that in the interview for what it was, but flipping the context. It was, it was fun. Yeah, reverse frame it, which was great. I'm logging in. Uh-oh. Uh, it'll be fine. Ah, oh, my camera won't connect. Hold on. Is it plugged in? Yeah. Yep. D- try closing all your other apps. Um, no- There's not- nothing else is running. Well, ah. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Lynn. Sorry, having a camera issue. Oh, no. Hey, Lynn, we can't hear you. It's, it's not you, it's us. It, the little activity icon is wiggling on Lynn's video. Oh, uh-huh. Oh, whoops. Okay, hang on. I have the wrong output selected. Pushed again in the hope that that would make a difference. Am I am I back? Yes. Hello, Dr. McNeil. We are super excited to have a chance to talk to you uh, so much that I just put my fancy podcast voice on. <laughs> it keeps the awkwardness, but puts the, the fault of the awkwardness on us, which was, I yeah. think, that is the fun way to do it. And it, it really keeps the guest in the primary spotlight for being the authority and it makes us kind of the lackeys which is what we are in the folklore world but in the audio world we're kind of more the experienced professionals and most of the people that we deal with from the folklore side are kind of newbies to audio and podcasting and production and so um, to do that role reversal where we are are literally the people who are incompetent is is great not to say that the folklorists are incompetent no, but it's, you know, not everyone is used to troubleshooting internet and audio driver issues and things like that. And I, I agree. I just think it's way more fun if if we make ourselves look kind of dumb because we're also like, neither of us are professionally trained folklorists who are right. studying this or, I mean, we're enthusiasts, but we want to talk to the people who have been doing the research. And so I think it also helps uh, keep us in the right place if we're the ones who are messing stuff up. It is. Going around creating a mess. And so between season one and season two, we sent out a little survey and we got people's thoughts and opinions, what they liked, what they didn't like. We learned that people really, really like dark topics. They like the narrative structure. They also want more stripped down interviews. Uh, that's where unplugged episodes came in in their current form. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that people liked the idea of Digby, but there was some refinement to do with Digby's character so that Digby was more sympathetic and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, those changes were made as Mason was building the narrative for season two. We also learned that one of the things that was 
indicative to Mason and I's on mic relationship in season one was fun, but it annoyed some people, which was the fact that we bickered a lot back and forth. And yeah, that- it, it, I was constantly playing this like fake antagonism that we don't have like there's no antagonistic relationship between Perry and I in real life. And I was always like putting you down you know, yeah. kind of on the sly. <laughs> And people didn't like that. I thought I thought that it was the dynamic that people looked for, like in, in Mythbusters with Jamie and Adam. That yeah. It was kind of like reflecting that. But at the same time, in retrospect, people realized that Jamie and Adam really did hate each other. So maybe they've been spoiled on that. Yeah, I think maybe that was it. Because I thought it, I think it's funny, too. Like, I was fully writing and leaning into that, like, yeah. Perry being the one who has everything together. And I'm a disaster. And Perry's chiding me for it. I thought that was funny. But yeah, I think I can understand that, too, because... uh I didn't realize until probably like a couple years ago that that relationship with Jamie and Adam wasn't very good, but I thought it was very entertaining on television. It was, and the producers leaned into that, but I think Jamie and Adam both personally really look back on that as, as tremendous success professionally, but a dark time for their own mental health and everything else. Yeah, and and that is like not the case. We're just doing it because it's funny and fun. But so I understand. So we changed that to. There's still a hint of that every now and then where you're you're a little bit of a disaster every now and then. And I, I am in my own way, but it's a little bit more of a buttoned up disaster. Yeah. Like you're it, it's it's fun to play with from like the writing side of that is is try, trying to play with those dynamics. Uh, but where we are right now in season two, we'll see how buttoned up the Perry disaster stays. Exactly. Because you can't just get rid of conflict. Story is conflict. I think all the time about Faith McQuinn, uh, who's also another phenomenal audio drama podcaster, gave a talk at the podcast movement we went to way back about conflict being the broccoli of storytelling because it's just conflict made of smaller pieces of conflict. Yeah. Anybody that's like been to a, a writing class for story development knows that one of the main things that you do as a writer whenever you're developing uh, your protagonist, is you put your protagonist up a tree, uh, give give them a really bad situation, and then when they're up the tree, you start to throw rocks at them. Right. It's, you, you just got to keep ratcheting up the conflict because at, at the point that it becomes too easy, you don't really have any reason to keep reading on. You You want to see your protagonist that hopefully you like deal with the conflict and prevail and then get a setback and deal with it and prevail and get a setback and deal with it and prevail um, so that they become a changed character by the end of it, rather than just these easy, uh, oh, here's something and I fended it off super easily and quickly. Right. Like, yeah, uh, the story you tell when you're five, you know, superhero, super duck man can fight any bad guy and win. But it's hard to do a narrative inside of a show where the primary function is to get the interviews out, you know, of the information. And so that was the fun challenge of season two. So then we enter season two with this scene of Perry driving the Volkswagen off of the edge of a mountainside road, soaring through the air, careening off a cliff as the gang is all screaming. Yelling, hold on to your butts. Yes, which uh, another podcast I listened to, The Adventure Zone, there is a scene where Clint, uh, their dad, yelled out, hold on to your butts. And the way he did it, his delivery was identical to yours in that episode. And I don't know, I will probably never get a chance to talk to them. But if I do, I want to bring that up. It's a very dad thing to say, I think. So the van is sailing off and then we hit five or six TV tropes at once with Perry's uh, time freezes and Perry's my life is a little bit crazy kind of moment where we then zoom back in time to us preparing for season two. 
that is me. My name is Perry Carpenter. I'm a cybersecurity Now, fun bit of trivia on that, though. That audio was supposed to be me in a van careening off a cliff, yelling those things. You had actually sent me a Discord message saying, I need these lines for this thing that I'm doing. I had just parked my car at the airport and was about to get on a flight. And I was like, it's going to be like a day before I can do that. Maybe I can do it from the car and just did it into my phone and sent it to you. And so I was in the middle of the airport <laughs> parking deck in my car, just like screaming <laughs> into this thing. And I, I forgot I that that okay. was when that happened. It worked so good. There's a there's a clip from that that we should put on our Patreon of you did the longest scream I've ever heard a human being do. It was genuinely Advantages impressive. Of being a previous metal singer. Yeah, breath control, dude. Perry, you got your diaphragm has got to be jacked. That scream was so. It was like 14 seconds. <laughs> it was awesome. So time rewinds and we see the gang hanging out in the new studio building trying to figure out what to do for the next season of Digital Folklore, when Digby, who we learn in this scene, has the internet connected to his brain. That's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, right. That'll that'll be important later. H how'd you know that? I just Googled it. How? With my brain. What? I'm sorry, what? I mean, it took me a few searches. You can Google things with your brain. Can't you? No. No. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was weird that you two seem to love sitting at desks so much. Digby finds out that Mark Norman, host of the Folklore Podcast, lives nearby. So we go to pay Mark a visit, and he lives inexplicably in a giant wizard's tower behind a Kroger in the town that Perry and I uh, live in, in the show, that neither of us had seen before. And that wizard's tower was not there the last time I was at that place. But you know how it is. Sometimes the place you live is the place you notice the least amount of things. Most accidents happen within five miles of the home because you're not paying attention, right? Hmm. So. We end up at the Wizard Tower. Got to keep your eyes open. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find. We encounter Mark at the Wizard Tower and have a nice chat about what it's like to do a folklore podcast. How do you find topics? How do you find guests? And uh, Mark, specifically, the project he's working on with a book about the folklore of Scooby-Doo. We then proceeded downstairs to meet Daisy Allstone, uh, who is half of Folkwise. Uh, Daisy Allstone and Dom Tartaglia on twitch.tv slash folkwise, which we made an appearance on their show pretty recently. We spoke with Daisy, who also is a tenant in the same wizard tower as Mark. And then after that, we made our way back home and learned about the meme expo, the meme enthusiast mega expo. Now, does it just work out canonically that all folklore podcasters should live in this tower and we've not become part of the cool kids club yet? I think I, I was kind of thinking about that when we were initially writing this was like, do we just have like, anytime we have a folklore media creator that we know, do we just put them in this tower where they all live? Seems like though folklore research should be a distributed thing. You don't want to consolidate like all your eggs in that tower basket. Yeah, no, especially with the way that it's not a field that gets as much attention, recognition, funding or resources as right. possible. Literally locking all your people into an ivory tower is probably not a good thing. Probably not a good thing. No. And that wasn't a metaphor for that. So I think we shouldn't. I think it's it's just a weird apartment building we did not know existed with a moat around it. And and a weird wizard version of Mark. Yes, and Mark wearing a wizard's robe and hat. In the penthouse. Which I am so glad that Mark was down to to play in that space with us. Now, I also picture him with like fuzzy slippers. Yeah, like the pink bunny slippers, right? Exactly. If we can ever turn digital folklore into a cartoon, I have character designs for so many. Ooh. And it's very much in the style of Butch Hartman, like the Fairly, Fairly Odd Parents kind of cartoons. Because be those great. are what I grew up on. But that's a stretch goal for someday. Right. <laughs> okay. 
So then that pushes us into talking about forgotten things. And so we get our our hint at uh, the idea or the introduction of the Mandela effect in episode two when we talked to Lauren Shippen and Cherokee McAnally. Uh, Lauren's a very well-known podcaster, fiction writer, and uh, all-around author and creative. And Cherokee is one of the heads of, of, I don't remember what program, but over over audience engagement and metrics at Tumblr. Yeah. And has a lot of really interesting stuff. But they were talking about the phenomenon of Goncharov, where people collectively just decide to make up a reality and then push that out onto the internet, onto everybody. Right. Goncharov, the greatest mob movie that never existed. We spoke to them because we were trying to find something to present on at the Meme Expo. Because naturally, we wanted to attend the Meme Enthusiast Mega Expo, but we didn't want to pay for tickets. So Perry, being someone who has done a lot of speaking gigs, you, your suggestion in the fiction of the show was, well, let's just book ourselves as speakers. And, you know, echoing real life again in this, I essentially did the same thing at the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research <laughs> meeting. Uh, is, But I did have a topic planned. But I was right. like, I'm not a folklorist, but... I'll play one on a podcast and I'll also submit a talk to this thing. And luckily, um, Diane Rogers, uh, who we'd interviewed in season one, was game to have this newbie to folklore uh, come and present the intersection of, you know, the thing, the interesting intersections that I was seeing between folklore and cybersecurity, the profession that I'm a part of. Uh, and so that went really well. And I met lots of great folklorists there. And we've had several of them as guests and will continue to do so. But yeah. it is interesting how how the podcast continues to mirror reality. I, it, it's it's funny because there's, there's times where I'm actively trying to take things from reality and then make them like, well, what if we did it bad and funny? Because like you brought something genuinely of value to to that Iskler meeting, like those parallels, cybersecurity and folklore. That's something that should be talked about more often. Yeah. And is on Eighth Layer Insights. But besides the point of plug, uh, I thought, yeah, what, wouldn't it be funny if we just had no idea <laughs> and we were like, well, we can wing it. Exactly. We can wing it. And we we showed ourselves as being at least decent negotiators. So we meet with Christina Downs uh, and she gets on stage after we end up deciding to buy out her entire booth as a, as a way to bribe her into saving our butts. How about we buy out the entire value of your booth, but you can keep your merch and then after the talk, you can come back. Hmm. You buy everything plus $500 because I'm saving your butts. We keep the merch, and you give a shout-out to the Texas Folklore Society on that little podcast of yours. Deal. Can, can I still keep my pins? Yes, obviously. Cool. Uh, she presents with us, and we escape the horrendous embarrassment of being ill-prepared. Yes, our, our visit goes pretty well at uh, Meme Expo in the episode Defying Convention, which has some of my favorite sound design I've done, I think, with all of the tiny that meme references. That was fantastic, yeah. That one was super fun. Uh, and we had some different listeners of the show make guest cameos in that. Well, no matter what happens, we're here now. If you sign up to participate in the 5K Naruto run, the pre-race assembly starts in 15 minutes in the Shrek is Love Pavilion. This is wild. These guys really went all out. Excuse me. Uh, uh, yes, hello. One does not simply walk into Meme Expo without a badge. Oh, right, right, um, right. They should be under 8th layer media. Okay. Perry yep. and 
Mason. That's us. I see what you did there. Uh, oh, no, that, that's not on purpose. Those are just our names. Yeah, everyone points out that Perry Mason is a thing, but that wasn't intentional. Mm, press X to doubt. <laughs> All right, here you go. But yeah, we Christina Down saves our butt. We make our way home. If you've not listened to that episode and you're a fan of memes or even nostalgia about early internet memes and culture, you do want to listen to that, if not for the interviews, just for the sound design, because there are so many things that come up here. There's references to Arthur's angry fist. There's Yeah, there's so <laughs> there's, many, so many references. There's so many little things that are just in the background you have to listen for. And when you do, you're super rewarded. It's yeah, so funny. That one has so many layers. Um, it's, Jordan it's and Lindsay, Jordan and Lindsay Reed did a whole bunch of ad libs on that. And that was fantastic, too. Yeah. Jordan, Lindsay, Tucker and Eddie just each sent me 20 minutes of meme references, which was great. So good. And then that slings us into a darker season. As we were also building this season, we're trying to hit some of the themes of the real calendar season that we're in. And so we were in October and we wanted to make sure to do something for Halloween, but we also wanted it to match the narrative that we're in. And so we wanted to hit uh, internet challenges and Halloween sadism and a lot of the themes around that. Yeah, because we uh, we see in a post credit scene earlier in the season, Digby torrenting the movie Gontrov directly into his brain. It's just one download. If it seems sketchy, I'll just stop it and delete it. Uh, which takes us into this this arc where Digby has become a conspiracy believer because whatever he downloaded was obviously not good for his brain. And so he's believing this elaborate conspiracy that dovetails with putting pharmaceuticals and candy and indoctrinating kids through internet challenges, which gave us a great chance to talk about that. Yeah, we had Joel Best and Libby Tucker, and both of those were amazing interviews with people who have been doing this for decades and just shared so much uh, great stuff in, in a fun way. And uh, I, I, it's one of those things, too, that after talking to both of them, I'm like, how do you do this for a living? This is like an amazing topic to get to like dedicate your life and study and all these weird fascinating things and the reason that you do it isn't just because they're weird and quirky and fascinating but the, because they're important to study yeah and that is super cool in itself i mean that's a recurring theme that we explore next because while both of them were incredibly smart and unique and had a lot of insights neither of them could convince digby that his conspiracy was wrong right so then in the following episode we're left to find a way to deal with digby's conspiracy brains so we take him to a reprogramming deprogramming center that is guarded by ben radford the world's foremost expert on uh, creepy clown lore who is dressed as a creepy clown he has no right to judge he's in a freaking clown costume nice hats H hello can I help you? We uh, we have an appointment. Oh yeah. Yeah, for the for the deprogramming. Ah, yes, yes. There, yeah, imagine that. Uh, and following up on the earlier theme of being able to meet people at conferences, just because you have the audacity to try to go to one, the previous two episodes featured guests that I met at those conferences or heard about at those conferences. So Libby Tucker, I heard about at the International Society for Contemporary Legend research meeting last year, the one that I didn't present at, and Ben Radford, uh, I met at the one this year, the one I did present at. So I sat right next to Ben. And on the other side of Ben was Joel Best. And so it all comes full circle, uh, full of folklorists that are interested in this weird, quirky 
thing that we call urban legends or contemporary legends and the impact that they have on society. And we talked to uh, we talked to Ben about the various impacts that those clown legends had on society, because remember, we were all scared of those for a couple of years. There were news stories and panics about that. And then we talked to Brent Lee, who wasn't, I think most of the people in season two are people that you met through Iskler, right? Yeah, a lot of them are. But Brent Lee wasn't. Brent was someone that we encountered on Twitter. I actually think you found Brent. Mm -hmm. How did you how did you stumble on him? Well, I know we wanted to talk about conspiracies and I follow Mick West uh, for a while because I've always been interested in conspiracies and disinformation, misinformation. I had interviewed Mick West on my other podcast, Eighth Layer Insights, a couple of years ago. And because of that, I think that I got recommended some of Brent's tweets. And uh, at that point, I saw his story because he had come out of a conspiracy uh, being a very, very heavy believer and proponent of that. And it was like, um, we had one of those goals of in this, if we're going to depict Digby coming out of a conspiracy mindset, it would be great to get the perspective of somebody who's really done that rather than people who just opine about that or give their, you know, outside judgments about what that looks like to be in one and what it looks like to come out of one. Yeah. And it, we, we thought it was important to, to speak to someone who had gone through that experience. And Brent was phenomenal to talk to. Yeah. Very interesting story. Hosts the podcast. Some dare call it conspiracy. Uh, some dare call it a conspiracy. So I'm dropping words. My New Englander is slipping out. And everything that he said, like when he said it, you could tell that he was reliving moments in his head and fully like feeling the impact that that had on his life. And so really, really impactful interview. And so while we talked to Brent, Digby got deprogrammed because it turned out that in Digby's case, it was just that he had downloaded a virus into his implant. The same device that lets him talk had turned him into a conspiracy theorist. And they extract all of that, stick it on a flash drive. Lo and behold, it's Dr. Sfinkel again. Dr. Sfinkel. Despite this not being the same establishment. Uh, and that that is addressed, but glossed over. Maybe that will come up later. And he pulls the virus off. It's a Trojan horse that's kicking around in Digby's brain, yep. throws it on a flash drive, and we are now in possession of that flash drive. What could happen with that? I have no idea. We will see. Maybe you will see, too. If, if I were you, I'd probably uh, put a label on that flash drive. I think we just drop it in a parking lot, see who picks it up. <laughs> yeah, we just we just drop it in the lobby of a business. We go full full pen tester. There we go. Uh, and then that takes us to that brings us right around to about uh, episode six, which is statistically conscious, where after Digby is reprogrammed and is no longer a conspiracy theorist, but is faced with the fact that this download on his implant caused him to believe things. Digby is grappling with the fact that he believes he is some kind of artificial intelligence, that his consciousness is not actually based in his organic brain, but he has been taken over and in fact is this sort of AI large language model question mark on his implant that is puppeting a little raccoon body around. I've basically stolen raccoon Digby's memories to train like my AI model. And and now I'm just puppeteering his body around and I'm pretending to live his life. Digby, you are not an artificial intelligence. I, you are a raccoon. I'm worse than an NFT. Dig, Digby, nothing's worse than an NFT. And we try and convince him he's not by talking with John Loden and Lev Gorlov, experts on AI. John Loden, who I met at the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research because he spoke right after my session and we both touched on AI and had a panel session after that. 
and realize that we share a lot in common uh, in our interests and passions around computer science and contemporary legend, obviously. And then Lev Gorlov, uh, who taught an AI masterclass that you are a part of, right? Right. And uh, Lev is a technologist that has a philosophical and uh, and ethicist style bent in the way that he approaches everything. And so he's a fantastic ad for this. And there is so much more to explore with AI. This was sort of us dipping our toes into it, but there's a lot of great stuff about AI in that episode, but ultimately not enough to convince Digby not to leave. He ends up figuring that he needs to go and find himself. So he packs all his belongings into a little bag. (laughs) Well, I guess that's it. What's it? What's it called? A bindle a thing? You know? Is that what you call it? Um, I think that's a roll top backpack. <laughs> oh, you know, like like the little hobo packs that they used to put in co- in uh, cartoons. Yeah, will stick with the background. Yeah. Except Digby, I think went with a more traditional backpack. And uh, in, in the official digital folklore artwork, he has a, like a roll top backpack that he's packing. yeah. That's one of my favorite episode pictures, which if you haven't seen those, by the way, if you listen to this mostly in your podcast player, you should pop over to our website and see the art for each episode. Yeah, you can uh, see it on the website or on YouTube if you listen to these on YouTube. Perry's been been generating them and and they're really, they're good. They're very good. I think you left a note. What? Oh, let me... Dear Perry and Mason. I'm leaving to go find myself? Don't come looking... I'll find you again when I'm ready. If it's any consolation, everyone talks about how AI is going to take their jobs, so I should be able to find steady work. Love, Digby. Oh, he said love. Oh my God, dude, he's gone. He's probably just wandered off into the city. What if something happens to him? Come on. Um, hey, hey, there are a lot of raccoons in the city. If he left recently, he can't be too far away. I'm going to go out and look for him. I don't necessarily think that's a good idea. Look, there's no way that I can't go looking for him, Perry. The poor little guy, all alone. Can you take care of uploading the episode and stuff? I'll be back in a few hours if I can't I mean, find him. Yeah, sure, but he does have Google Maps in his brain. So I think you and Digby are on a break for this episode that we just did. He's he's kind of left the house and is trying to find himself and figure out what's going on with the world. Yes, the most recent episode. And now we're in this situation where you and I are separated again. And the audio journal motif comes back. Hello again, little portable recorder. You're kind of off trying to figure out what's going on with me and with Digby, really questioning if if everything's spinning out of control, I'm questioning the fundamental aspects of reality and whether everything is spinning out of control. And then we also hear a magic name come back and yes. potentially a magic voice come back. That of, who is it? I mean, it's Todd, right? It's, it's got to be Todd. I think it's Todd. It sounded like Todd cutting through in that recording. People trust the people they know. So if your friend posts something, you're more likely to believe it because you trust that friend. You You know know that person, right? There, right there. Oh my God. I I know that voice. I I know who that is. I got it. I got it. I loved the most recent episode because we have Perry audio diary. We have me driving around trying to find Digby and we have Digby getting picked up by Andrew Peck, just Digby hitchhiking. And then Andrew Peck picks him up and Andrew Peck heroically delivers like 30 lines that I had written for him in even better than was written. Andrew ad-libbed on them and stuff and just did an incredible job as an actor without any prep. We sprung that on him and he was such a good sport about it. Andy's a callback to episode one because we Mm -hmm. ended episode one with us in the woods, uh, reading Andrew Peck's paper 
And if you were to imagine a camera, that last line, the camera pans out and up, you know, going above the woods uh, with these little, you know, tendrils of, of maybe campfire sparks going up with it. And so Andrew's name is re- and uh, personality in his paper is really the last thing we hear in episode one. And it comes full circle back here. Yeah. Helping Digby achieve a little bit of a perspective on who he is, where he is in the world and where AI fits in. And it's so good. And giving a lot of perspective on the Mandela effect as well. Yeah, which uh, he hates and you can hear why in the most recent episode. And then the last thing we see is I see Andrew and Digby driving by on the road and speed off after them. Harry is driving to Todd's pawn shop because he's going to go confront him. And that just so happens to be the very final scene where we see Digby and Andrew roll up outside of Todd's pawn shop for the event Dada December that Todd seems to be hosting. So in this episode, we're all separate, but it kind of seems like we're all going to meet up at the same place. And who knows what's going to happen? Can I say that sound design wise on that episode, you did so many really cool things with different layers and like that scene where the phone falls. But my favorite sound design element has to be Digby going hitchhiking and just hearing those little footsteps. Oh, you, you, I'm glad you liked that. I wasn't sure about them. It's just like pat, pat, pat. I mean, I don't know that it's realistic for the raccoon size to have the step spacing like that. No, but... But it, it transcends logic because it was just so cute. Holy smokes! Real nice! Yeah, keep texting! Ugh! I swear, drivers. I'm glad you liked that because I I I, I wasn't gonna do it, and I put them in, and I was like, oh, that's really adorable because you just it picture him little like plodding that's, along. That's exactly what you picture, and it was perfect, and it sounded pathetic. Yeah, they sound sad because it's it's the sounds of dogs' feet on oh. a kitchen tile. Okay. And so like it doesn't fit the space, it doesn't fit like the ground or the surface, but it just but it, it fits, fits the, the mental image. Yeah. yeah. And it just conjured up uh, again. If you look at the the imagery that we use for the episodes, either on the website or on YouTube, uh, it conjured up that image that's there, which is just this little sad raccoon out with his backpack with yeah. his thumb in the air, sad and Andrew Peck's car stopping. Uh, it's so good. That episode came out really good, even though it came out late. It was worth it. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So, what will happen next? Dun, dun, dun. What will happen? You'll have to tune in next time on Digital Folklore to find out. I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is Digital Folklore. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.